Welcome to Bible News Press. Our goal is to discuss biblical faith beyond cliches and buzzwords, whether such words are religious or political. Sometimes we sit around the table and fellowship. Sometimes we do a little time travel. It is all part of our journey with our Abba Father, who has given us the key to life. We do it with Jesus, and we do it together. Welcome. Hello, I'm Laura. I will be reading 2 Kings chapter 4 from the World English Bible. Now a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, saying, Your servant, my husband, is dead. You know that your servant feared Yahweh. Now the creditor has come to take for himself my two children to be slaves. Elisha said to her, What should I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? She said, Your servant has nothing in the house except a pot of oil. Then he said, Go, borrow empty containers from all your neighbors. Don't borrow just a few containers. Go in and shut the door on you and on your sons, and pour oil into all those containers, and set aside those which are full. So she went from him and shut the door on herself and on her sons. They brought the containers to her, and she poured oil. When the containers were full, she said to her son, Bring me another container. He said to her, There isn't another container. Then the oil stopped flowing. Then she came and told the man of God. He said, Go, sell the oil and pay your debt, and you and your sons live on the rest. One day Elisha went to Shunem, where there was a prominent woman, and she persuaded him to eat bread. So it was that as often as he passed by, he turned in there to eat bread. She said to her husband, See now, I perceive that this is a holy man of God who passes by us continually. Please, let's make a little room on the roof. Let's set a bed, a table, a chair, and a lampstand for him there. When he comes to us, he can stay there. One day he came there, and he went to the room and lay there. He said to Gehazi, his servant, Call this Shunammite. When he had called her, she stood before him. He said to him, Say now to her, Behold, you have cared for us with all this care. What is to be done for you? Would you like to be spoken for to the king or to the captain of the army? She answered, I dwell among my own people. He said, What then is to be done for her? Gehazi answered, Most certainly she has no son, and her husband is old. He said, Call her. When he had called her, she stood in the door. He said, At this season, when the time comes around, you will embrace a son. She said, No, my lord, you man of God, do not lie to your servant. The woman conceived and bore a son at that season. When the time came around, as Elisha had said to her, When the child was grown, one day he went out to his father, to the reapers. He said to his father, My head, my head. He said to his servant, Carry him to his mother. When he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees until noon, and then died. She went up and laid him on the man of God's bed, and shut the door on him and went out. She called to her husband and said, Please send me one of the servants and one of the donkeys, that I may run to the man of God and come again. He said, Why would you want to go to him today? 
It is not a new moon or a Sabbath. She said, It's all right. Then she saddled the donkey and said to her servant, Drive and go forward. Don't slow down for me unless I ask you to. So she went and came to the man of God to Mount Carmel. When the man of God saw her afar off, he said to Gehazi his servant, Behold, there is the Shunammite. Please run now to meet her and ask her, Is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with your child? She answered, It is well. When she came to the man of God to the hill, she caught hold of his feet. Gehazi came near to thrust her away, but the man of God said, Leave her alone, for her soul is troubled within her, and Yahweh has hidden it from me and has not told me. Then she said, Did I ask you for a son, my lord? Didn't I say, Do not deceive me? Then he said to Gehazi, Tuck your cloak into your belt, take my staff in your hand, and go your way. If you meet any man, don't greet him, and if anyone greets you, don't answer him again. Then lay my staff on the child's face. The child's mother said, As Yahweh lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So he arose and followed her. Gehazi went ahead of them and laid the staff on the child's face, but there was no voice and no hearing. Therefore he returned to meet him and told him, The child has not awakened. When Elisha had come into the house, behold, the child was dead and lying on his bed. He went in, therefore, and shut the door on them both, and prayed to Yahweh. He went up and lay on the child, and put his mouth on his mouth, and his eyes on his eyes, and his hands on his hands. He stretched himself on him, and the child's flesh grew warm. Then he returned and walked in the house once back and forth, and went up and stretched himself out on him. Then the child sneezed seven times, and the child opened his eyes. He called Gehazi and said, Call the Shunammite. So he called her. When she had come into him, he said, Take up your son. Then she went in, fell at his feet, and bowed herself to the ground. Then she picked up her son and went out. Elisha came again to Gilgal. There was a famine in the land, and the sons of the prophets were sitting before him. And he said to his servant, Get the large pot and boil stew for the sons of the prophets. One went out into the field to gather herbs and found a wild vine and gathered a lapful of wild gourds from it and came and cut them up into the pot of stew, for they didn't recognize them. So they poured out for the men to eat. As they were eating some of the stew, they cried out and said, Man of God, there is death in the pot, and they could not eat it. But he said, Then bring meal. He threw it into the pot, and he said, Serve it to the people that they may eat. And there was nothing harmful in the pot. A man from Baal, Shalisha, came and brought the man of God some bread of the first fruits, twenty loaves of barley and fresh ears of grain in his sack. He said, Give to the people that they may eat. His servant said, What? Should I set this before a hundred men? But he said, Give the people that they may eat, for Yahweh says they will eat and will have some left over. So he set it before them, and they ate and had some left over, according to Yahweh's word. That is the end of chapter 4. The bulk of this chapter is about two women's faith, but even though they are both women, they are different in some extreme ways. One is a widow, one is married. One is impoverished, one is apparently well off. 
one has children from the start and one is barren and then deals with the death of her only child. One seeks Elisha for help, but the other seeks to help Elisha. What they both have in common is that they both take initiative to speak to the prophet Elisha, and they both act on faith in Yahweh. And they were both given personal miracles by Yahweh that don't appear to be some a part of some grand scheme. Both accounts present Elisha as accepting interactions with them as individuals. He doesn't tell the widow, let me talk to the head man in your clan, nor does he require speaking to the Shunammite's husband to communicate promises from God to her. I'm not saying this to make a case for no difference between men and women, or that there is no difference with how a husband and wife should relate to each other. I think it is obvious biologically and scripturally that God has some things in mind that are unique to each. If you want a very in-depth discussion of this, I recommend Mike Winger's phenomenal series on women in ministry. Now, my point here is that a major prophet who obviously represented Yahweh and knew his character was not at all demeaning to these women. There was no sign of oppressive patriarchy, which some ill-informed or contentious people try to claim is all throughout the Bible. These women were treated very respectfully even the married one, by her husband. The first woman, the widow, is an example of asking in a time of need. Then, much like with the trenches in the previous chapter, she gave evidence of her faith by collecting a lot of pots. It is similar but different from Elijah's miracle for the widow in Zarephath, except that in that case, Yahweh did specifically send Elijah to that widow for his own care as well, and that was in 1 Kings 17. The widow here sought Elisha on her own and was well-received, and the miracle was simply for her and her family. I think God puts examples like this in the Bible to show us that not all miracles are just his predetermined plan, but some are just because people ask. I puzzled about why the instructions included to shut the door, and I had one funny thought that it was that at some point they would be shouting for joy and he didn't want it to draw attention. But I think it likely that this instruction emphasized that however many containers they got, they wouldn't be going out to get more. It's also interesting that the woman came back for further instructions It seems obvious to us now, but I expect that a large number of containers being filled with oil supernaturally lent itself to asking for further direction. And then, noticeably, Elisha did not ask for any of it for himself. Somewhere in the same general time period, Elisha went to Shunem, which my Bible atlas shows to be about three miles north-northeast of Jezreel, about 20 miles southwest of the Sea of Galilee, and around 25 miles south-southeast of Mount Carmel. So around 50 miles north of Bethel, where Elisha and Elijah went on their last hike. And then it is also, Shunem is also about 30 miles north of Samaria. It's all well within the northern kingdom of Israel still. And here we have a prominent woman who was simply hospitable, extending an invitation for a meal. And it was apparently a pleasant place to eat. So whenever Elisha passed through town, he stopped and was welcome again. This is happening in the overall wicked, idolatrous northern kingdom. 
But she recognizes Elisha as serving Yahweh and wants to honor that. So she suggests to her husband about making him a room, well furnished. After a while, Elisha wants to bless her, but he doesn't seem to be offering a miracle, just political connections, which is something a prominent woman might be interested in. But she's content in her city. So one thing leads to another, and it gets around to Elisha's servant suggesting a miracle. Again, no sign of there being any kind of decree or leading from Yahweh, nothing instigated by him. A son would provide for her and cheer her in her old age, but she was leery of empty promises and disappointment. After all, in normal life, this was not something that somebody else could just make happen for you. And the fact that Elisha places it a year out, remember he said this season when the time comes around, means it wasn't just that he had some secret way of knowing she was already pregnant. And it happened, in spite of her incredulity, much like Sarah, but apparently she and Sarah were still counted as having faith enough in Yahweh. But it's not too long before her faith is tested, or you might say proven, because when her child, still young enough to sit on her knees, dies, she goes straight to the man of God to plead her case. She doesn't even mention to her husband that the boy is dead. She just says, everything will be all right. Still, she's in a hurry. I was having a little trouble visualizing what was happening with the donkey. I'm guessing she rode it while the servant made it go where it was supposed to with a lead rope and a stick. And she obviously didn't want to talk to Gehazi, Elisha's servant. No intermediate was acceptable to her. Elisha recognizes her distress, so is not at all put out by her grabbing his feet. And he lets us know that he has no special word from Yahweh about all of this either but he proceeds to act in faith. He seems to think Gehazi can get there faster and represent him, but the Shunammite woman is not satisfied with this, and she will not let Elisha out of her sight, but he of all people should understand something like that. But even when he gets there, Elisha doesn't get immediate resurrection. Again, similar to Elijah's healing with the son of the widow in 1 Kings 17, although in that account, all those things happened to one poor woman. So here, the child has been confirmed dead twice by direct description, one by the mother, one by Elisha, and another by Gehazi's euphemism and speech. So Elisha prays, but no miracle happens right away. For some reason, Yahweh wants Elisha to persist maybe to emphasize the seriousness of the situation and the depth of the power that it takes to bring someone back to life. Not that it requires a lot of God, but it emphasizes that God can do this and it's special. Then when Elisha calls her after the child comes back to life, he just says, call that Shunammite woman. And that got me wondering if anybody had any explanation. So I went to... um, David Gusick's commentary on the Blue Letter Bible. And I didn't find anything mentioning that, but he did talk about the significant contrast between how Elijah and Elisha went through various things to try and get someone to rise from the dead versus Jesus, who just commanded it with a word and the snap of his fingers, basically. So that kind of goes along with my thoughts about why they had to work harder at it. Now, you have to agree that the mention of sneezing seven times is funny in verse 35. Possibly dust had been gathering on the boy's nose during the hours when his body was just laying there not breathing. 
His mother is never mentioned by name, as I said, just by a variety of descriptions. A woman, her social status, she's prominent, she's married. Uh, she, when she becomes a mother, she's mentioned as a mother, and it talks about where she lived and wanted to stay. It all suggests to me that she could be anyone, that she represents anyone who serves others, longs for a child, loves her child, suffers loss, and has an opportunity to call on her God. She thanks Elisha, and that's the last we hear of her until chapter 8. We'll hear of her again. By this time, after hearing all of that about those two women, the defanging, so to speak, of a pot of poison stew seems almost normal, yet encouraging, because the rest of the chapter is about miraculous provision during famine. And I was impressed that they ate it after Elisha said, eh, it's fine now that I put this meal in it. And of course, the loaves, the 20 loaves that feed the 100 men with leftovers, reminds us of the two times that Jesus miraculously fed thousands of people in the multitudes. I think in this account here, Elisha's servant didn't want to give food to the other people first. He wanted to eat first and then feed them. But Elisha had enough confidence in Yahweh's word to feed them all first. That's all for today. Thanks for listening. That is the Bible News Press segment for today, but not the end of our journey.